Welcome to Crosstalks, conversations that drive innovation. In this podcast, we featured well-known payments expert Hugo Cuevas-Moore. This series is based on his 2023 book, Sending Money, Forex, Remittances, Immigration, and the Fintech Revolution, which dives into the evolution of the cross-border financial services industry. Crosstalks is published by Crosstech, a conference and consultancy service company based in Miami, Florida. Each episode is 24 to 28 minutes long. Thank you for listening. Welcome. My name is Hugo Cuevas-Moore, and in this episode, number three of Sending Money, I will discuss migration and its impact on the money transfer industry. Besides technology provided the tools, migration provided the customers, the two most important components of remittances and the development of cross-border payments. Caribbean economist Wendell Samuel wrote this in 1990, when studies of remittances were just beginning. The issue of remittances arises only because there has been a prior decision to migrate. Therefore, the analysis of remittances cannot be separated from the analysis of the factors that motivate migration. The increased migration from developing countries and the need to send money back to their families in their countries of origin have been the driving force behind all ventures created to serve them. The need to provide an efficient money transfer service has driven the industry, has kept it going, and has allowed it to thrive. Migration has numerous push and pull factors that make up the reasons that prompt individuals to leave their home country to seek a life on distant shores. The pull factors are the ones that fuel hopes and dreams. The push factors are the ones that cause migrants to leave. The pull factors are influenced by stories of success from those who left before them, the social media channels, TV, etc. These pull factors are deeply personal and emotional education and job opportunities, a sense of security, political stability, better health, and a desire for a better future. The push factors are the harsh conditions of everyday life, violence, hunger, fear, and deteriorating living conditions, civil unrest, war, economic crisis, and natural disasters are push factors. Whatever form migration takes, national or international, it usually has a significant monetary value associated with it. Those left behind can benefit from the success of those who have migrated. A source of economic support and hope, remittances have great intrinsic value to this act of love, loss, and longing. Migrants themselves started money transfer services in cultural pockets formed as immigrants began settling in specific neighborhoods within their destination countries. In these communities, migrants began to provide services that fulfilled the unique needs of their people. Remittances were one of these essential services. And as technology made remittance processing more accessible and less costly, these basic money transfer companies evolved in these communities and became more sophisticated as they grew and expanded. Neighborhood travel agents who sold airline tickets to migrants knew the travelers, the routes, and the airlines, and many of those agents initially built the money-sending networks 
For years, they made certain that the money sent was properly delivered by either ensuring the delivery personally or by commissioning known travelers or contacting flight attendants and pilots to act as couriers. Then they began using technologies, as we discussed in the previous episode, and we will see in later episodes as well. Migration waves. Migration waves to the developed world have been a constant pattern throughout history. In the U.S., the first wave of immigrants in 1820 mainly consisted of English speakers. The second wave brought large Irish and German populations until the American Civil War halted immigration in the 1860s. The third wave began after and lasted through 1920. 20 million migrants arrived over 40 years at a time when the U.S. had a population of only 75 million. Two and a half million of these migrants of that time were Jewish. The Statue of Liberty on Ellis Island at the entrance to the New York Harbor is inscribed with verses by a Jewish poetess known for her work welcoming Jewish migrants, which reads, Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. Immigration practically came to a halt during both the Depression of the 1930s and World War II. After the war, immigration rose again, reaching peak levels in the 1990s when the fourth wave crested. This wave has been characterized by a large number of immigrants from Latin America and Asia, India, China, Philippines, and Vietnam, more than 700,000 per year. The U.S.-Mexico Remittance Corridor has become the world's largest due to the large migration of Mexican crossings in the border. Remember that California and Texas were part of Mexico before 1850. Remittances from the U.S. to Mexico grew by 27% in 2021 and 13% in 2022, reaching $58 billion dollars and 96% of remittances received by Mexico come from the U.S. The progressive increase in the volume of remittances to Mexico has occurred since 1985 and has kept their upward trend even though migration has slowed down and even has stalled during the last decade. Since in the U.S. almost all the population has a migrant origin, because there are only 9 million Native Americans now, we had to talk about migrants in the U.S. as foreign-born nationals. So, foreign-born Mexicans, for example, make up 24% of the total U.S. population, and about half of all the Latin Americans present in the U.S., followed by India and China with 6% and 5%, and as a region, Eastern Europe, at 5%, is the next largest group with Poland and Ukraine leading the way. African migration is divided into two ethnically different groups. North Africa, which together with the Middle East, are categorized as MENA, Middle East and North Africa, MENA. Migration from MENA in the U.S. is still relatively small, only 1.2 million with Egyptians making up more than 50% of all North American migrants, and Iraqis and Lebanese make up 50% of all Middle Eastern migrants. 
Nigerians and Ethiopians make up 30% of all the migrants from SSA, Sub-Saharan Africa. In the U.S., there are 2 million migrants from SSA, but their numbers have doubled every 10 years. It is important to note that between 1525 and 1866, in the entire history of the slave trade to the American continent, it is estimated that 12.5 million men, women, and children were captured and put on ships in Africa. Of them, only 10.7 million survived the passage and arrived, while 400,000 made it to the United States. There are approximately 35 million African descendants in the U.S., African-Americans, and more than 150 million in the whole continent. For some groups, migration waves may be slowing down, but they are not stopping. The walls and the fences built by countries to reduce illegal immigration merely become another obstacle migrants are forced to endure. A physical hurdle that piles on the mountain of the invisible barriers faced. It don't stop migrants. Instead, it forces migrants to venture into the deserts or the jungles or the sea, to change routes or final destinations, or to temporarily settle in countries they had previously considered transitory. Most migrations have resulted from conflicts, civil confrontations and wars, climate disasters, and also socio-political crises that cause waves of migration in many places in the world. In the first 20 years after the triumph of the Cuban Revolution in 1948, more than 600,000 Cubans arrived in the U.S. In 1980, roughly 125,000 Cubans arrived in the country during the so-called Mariel Exodus. In the summer of 1994, another 35,000 arrived during the exodus of the Balseros. The Venezuelan exodus, which has reached 7 million people by the beginning of 2022, has surpassed that of Syria, which until now had been considered the largest in the world to date, with 6.7 million refugees who have fled as a result of the conflict. That has also killed close to half a million people. Turkey has taken approximately 2.5 million Syrians, Lebanon has taken about 1 million, and another 650,000 are in refugee camps in Jordan. Natural disasters, such as hurricanes in the Caribbean, typhoons in the Pacific, and earthquakes in many countries have also caused large migratory waves. Other natural disasters caused by climate change that have led to drought and famines have migratory impacts that are normally slower to become evident. All natural disasters result in remittances, domestic or international. Hurricane Mitch, which hit Central America in October 1998, killed at least 18,000 Central Americans and affected about 2.5 million people. Alberto Padilla, uh, author of the book Caravan, How the Central American Exodus Came Out of Hiding, wrote, That tragedy, Hurricane Mitch, made a turning point in modern migration to the U.S., a study by Manuel Orozco and Elizabeth Burgess on the increase in remittances following the Haiti earthquake in 2010 showed that nearly one-third of remitters surveyed mentioned the earthquake as the reason for helping their relatives. 
as a result of the 2015 Nepal earthquake, remittance doubled in a few months, which has been crucial to the reconstruction of affected homes. Climate change predicts large population displacements in the regions most affected by droughts and floods. Like so many other socioeconomic impacts that climate change brings, migration will certainly be one of the most complex issues to handle in the future. We are all migrants. We have to remember this. We are all migrants. If we take a look at our genealogy, we're sure to discover stories of our ancestors who immigrated one, two, or three generations ago. Almost all of our family history is intrinsically linked to migration. We all have strong ties to what humanity is experiencing today. And we cannot remain oblivious to the memories, the experiences, the significance of the saga of the family members that came before us. Think about what it was like to assimilate into the culture of a new country and what kind of conflicts and identity challenges they faced. Today, assimilation programs exist in many countries and cities, in Europe, North America, and other regions. Before, the process happened on its own. Migratory communities would segregate or interact with each other and slowly mix tradition and mindsets from generation to generation. You probably don't know when a certain trait or a belief or a tradition became part of you or your family. How difficult was your ancestors' assimilation into their new country? Did they suffer discrimination? They probably did. Was their race, ethnicity, religion, or personal beliefs a cause of intolerance, persecution, or any other type of victimization, aggressive behavior, or sort of prejudice? We have seen a rise in anti-immigrant rhetoric through populist discourse in recent years. Now a political tenor has been given to the very act of migration. But humans have always been migratory species. We know that a hundred thousand years ago, humans began migrating from Africa, moving northward in search of food resources, following the migratory patterns of the animals they used to hunt. People continue and will continue to migrate. Some cultures are more likely to do so than others. Since we can now know our genetic code, we can also look at our genes as they reveal a story about ourselves and our family. Genetics and bone discoveries have shown that all Asian cities were built by migrant settlers. Even with the populist anti-immigrant rhetoric that managed to boost Brexit and the presidency of Trump and other politicians, the United States, Europe, and many other countries depend on the flow of young working migrants to protect their economic future and not just to fill jobs that residents of the country don't want to do. In the US and Europe, and in certain Asian nations, the declining fertility rate has created a population gap that affects employment and sustainability. With a growing elderly population in need of retirement payments and support programs, the only solution is to make way for immigrants and assimilate them into society. The issue of systemic racism is undoubtedly a component of the history of ethnic businesses in the U.S. and Europe, 
but certainly of other countries too. Systematic racism against migrants comes from a concern among a country's public legislators, regulators, law enforcement agents, and the press alleging that cultural, religious, ethical, and other differences threatens society and the prevailing culture. Interestingly, sometimes these differences are used to defend the migration of one ethnic group over another. Some argue that certain migrants have positive qualities that make them better labor migrants. Spain, for example, preferred to allow Latin American migrants the same religion and language rather than Moroccans and other Muslims. It's understandable that the process of assimilation is easier when there are cultural, racial, and religious similarities between the groups. In many countries, migrant women from one specific country are preferred for childcare, such as Bolivian women in Brazil or Bangladeshi women in Arab countries. The money transfer industry is unlike any other full of personal accounts of individuals who have built the foundation of cross-border financial services. These are stories of migrants creating businesses and defying the socioeconomic environment of their host country. They manage to overcome the endless barrage of obstacles, of hostile conditions, and circumstantial and systemic challenges. Against all odds, these pioneers develop a web of interdependent businesses. As we will see in this podcast, some of these ethnic money transfer companies reached the point where they required more capital, technology, and financial relationships. Some of these pioneers successfully exited the business by selling to stronger economic groups who could then take these companies to a new level. However, a large number of ethnic money transfer companies went out of business and disappeared. They failed to overcome the enormous challenges they faced. Migration also involves family fragmentation. Migrants cannot be considered a faceless human mass. Each has a personal story. This includes horror, separation, despair, loneliness, struggle, sacrifice, disenchantment, wasted effort, and even death. Other stories are full of hope, survival, success, reunification, and happiness. Due to the globalization and political instability around the world, these experiences will continue to increase. According to the United Nations, there's 260 million people that live in countries where they were not born. Most of the time, anti-migration laws don't seem to make so much difference because people find ways to continue migrating, legally or illegally, with a sad reality that thousands of migrants die in deserts of the southern United States or the waters of the Mediterranean. Four to five thousand migrants die each year during the Mediterranean crossings. More than 7,000 migrants have perished crossing the U.S.-Mexico border between 2000 and 2017. Many families in Central America don't know what happened to their sons and daughters, who disappeared somewhere while trying to reach the promised land. Their WhatsApp messages stopped coming. Since most of the struggles migrants face come from the fact that many must use alternative means to enter or stay in a country, sometimes life-threatening, 
The United Nations has been working on a global compact for safe, orderly, and regular migration, which represents a historic opportunity to improve international cooperation on migration, as well as strengthen the contribution of migrants and migration to sustainable development. Will we ever reach or achieve orderly migration? It's hard to imagine. We usually perceive remittances as the socioeconomic contribution of migrants, typically part of the most vulnerable members of society. This is true in Mexico and most of Central America, Bangladesh, Nepal, where most migrants come from rural areas, small towns, and the poorer neighborhoods or big cities. But it's important to understand that every country's migrants, when seen under a magnifying lens, are unique, and each migration corridor tells us a slightly different story. There are countries where the educated middle class is the one that migrates. It is the case for countries such as Colombia, Nigeria, and Ghana. In Venezuela, its mass migration began at the top. The highest earners left first, and migration then trickled down the economic pyramid as the country's situation deteriorated. Human capital flight is called the emigration or immigration of highly educated individuals. The net benefit for the receiving country is referred as a brain gain, whereas the net cost for the sending country is called a brain drain. Brain drain is especially critical to the developing world, causing many countries to lose a core portion of their most valuable individuals attracted by incentives to leave and the policies engineered by developed countries to attract them. An analysis of job and investment-related visas can show us what types of migrants specific countries seeking. Class-selective migration is likely to become more prevalent in the coming decades as countries compete for highly educated individuals, resulting in a more considerable brain drain in the developing world. High net worth individuals might not need to support family members back home, but they engage in cross-border payments for investment, movement of funds to support their lifestyles and manage tax implications. It is no surprise that the top countries where these high net worth individuals are living are Russia, China, India, Hong Kong, and the UAE is extremely attractive to these individuals. Cross-border fintechs should pay close attention to these individuals and out-compete banks by better catering services to their specific needs. I foresee a continued growth in this industry as we move into the third decade of this millennium, partly due to the increasing migratory flows, as well as the changes in employment and work around the world. Which issues will mostly impact migration? Climate change, war, geopolitical crisis, financial downturns? Regardless of the answers, traditional and digital MTOs will keep providing a much-needed service. In 2021, Vivek Wadwa, a fintech innovator in the U.S., born in Delhi, published a book entitled The Immigrant Exodus, Why America is Losing the Global Race to Capture Entrepreneurial Talent where he discusses migration and innovation. He highlights that many of the U.S. most innovative entrepreneurs have been migrants, and in his research, he demonstrates how the U.S. 
has been amid an unprecedented halt in high-growth immigrant-founded startups, arguing that increased competition from China and India, coupled with U.S. immigration policies, are leaving some of the most educated and talented entrepreneurial immigrants with no choice but to take their innovations elsewhere. With China and India overtaking the world in patent filings in 2019, China alone accounted for 50% of them. A group of international scholars investigated how reforms that ease or restrict migration and human mobility affect global innovation and demonstrated that policies affecting human mobility contribute to the global shift in the geography of innovation towards emerging markets. These shifts impact money transfer and cross-border payments, opening new quarters for the industry. Right-wing and populist rhetoric has targeted migration and remittances to cast them as hurtful to the economy of the host countries. In the UK, this rhetoric was used to promote Brexit, and in the US, it was used by former President Trump as a hot-button issue in his election campaign. In the case of migration, the fear of the uneducated poor crossing borders is easy to label as basically racist. Losing jobs to migrants, spending taxes on their education and welfare, and a surge of criminality are all reasons that are given to win votes. But the positive effects of migration need to be acknowledged. The expansion of the labor force, the filling of skill gaps in the labor markets, the boost to local economies, and the contribution in taxes, which is larger than what they receive in benefits, having a positive net fiscal contribution. Migration boosts the working age population, and this is especially important in the developed North and its declining population. Migrants arrive with skills and contribute to the human capital development of the receiving countries. To close this episode of migration, I want to mention the Soccer World War Cup in 2022 in Qatar, which brought migration issues to the headlines for two reasons. One was the plight of the migrant workers that build the stadiums and the facilities needed. Qatar has a population of 3 million people, and 90% of them are foreign citizens. The migrant workforce is estimated at 2 million people, 50% employed in construction, and a large percentage coming from the Philippines and South Asian countries, including India, Pakistan, Nepal, and Bangladesh. The labor companies that brought foreign workers to Qatar were heavily criticized for failing to pay wages, providing miserable working conditions, and having a high percentage of work accidents. The second reason was the composition of European soccer clubs, especially France, the sub-champion of the World Cup. Nine members of France's World Cup winning squad in 1998 were either immigrants or the children of immigrants. The French team won again in 2018 with 17 immigrants or children of immigrants. In 2022, this number went up to 20, and Kylian Mbappe was given the trophy of the best young player at the Cup. His father is from Cameroon, his mother from Algeria. The fourth-place team, the surprising Moroccan squad, had more than half of its 26 players born in other countries. In total, 136 soccer players at the World Cup in Qatar represented countries other than the ones in which they were born. But at the same time, 
The European Soccer Federation has battled far-right groups in their stadiums, insulting black and brown players and banning racist fans for life. European soccer players have taken the knee many times to show their stand against racism sports. Thank you for listening to episode 3 on migration and see you in episode 4 in which we'll dive on the fundamentals of the remittance business. Thank you for listening to this episode of Crosstalks, conversations that drive innovation. The book Sending Money is available on Amazon. For comments, questions, and feedback, use our social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, and YouTube. See you soon.